You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back, Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. It's a day that ends in Y right today. Today also ends in Y. Uh, so there you go. Uh, doing something we haven't done in a little while, something that I think is long overdue. While the NBA has been going through its sort of slog of a COVID season, the WNBA has had quite the off season, And so we're back today with our WNBA correspondents, uh, Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm better than the Sparks are, I guess. Yes, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about the LA Sparks right off the bat. Uh, Matt Ellentuck of the Here's Basketball newsletter, and also a New York Times contributing occasional writer. That's me. Just wrote a big story on Candace Parker. How are you? Uh, good. Also better than the Sparks. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into the LA Sparks because they were the the moving team of the off season. But real quick, right off the bat, I I'll, I think Matt, you've teased, and other people in the WNBA media had teased that this would be one of those crazy summers of movement, right? One of those sort of uh, the the kind that the NBA goes through a lot, but the WNBA is not necessarily known for. It was teased that it was that. It's mostly over now. I mean, I guess there's still some things to wrap up, but the big things are over. Do you think it met expectations? Yeah, I think it exceeded expectations. Hmm. Um, I think last year was right year one with the small cap spike and the first taste of everybody getting their own freedom. And it was obviously really chaotic. And then this year it was more of like, all right, there's a little bit less money to play around with. There's still some question marks. Um, with what's going to happen with the bubble, like who's going to make a bold move, who's going to stick things out and think that, you know, last year wasn't really, you know, a real year. And maybe, you know, if they keep the band together in a more real season, things will happen. And uh, I mean, it was still like nuts, right? And that's exactly what we wanted with that new CBA last year. And it's delivered two years in a row. So even though Diana Taurasi stays put, wasn't there some talk that she might move? We all we all love to throw this like fantasy of Diana and Sue teaming up before they retire, but it, it was <laughs> it was never going to happen. Yeah, so she stays put. Uh, but there was one huge star who made a big move. One and and one huge star that I think if you're not following the NBA WNBA as closely, it would seem weird that someone who's a marketable name like Candace Parker would leave a marketable city like Los Angeles. It just doesn't seem like, for at least an NBA brain in particular, it doesn't seem like a thing that would make any sense. But WNBA fans know that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes with this story. A lot of stuff with Candace's relationship with the Sparks that has gone downhill that has led to this. So, Sabrina, like, what went wrong, ultimately, over the course of her time there? Yeah, um, as far as I understand, it's like a few years in the making that Candace Parker decided to leave the Sparks uh, 
So she was finishing up a three-year contract that just ended this offseason. And basically, since she put pen to paper on that, the Sparks were playing a game of chicken of how long it would take to get Tins out the door. Um, it all started with mm. uh, her previous GM attempting to trade her uh, while the ownership uh, did not clearly like that option. And then they poisoned the well with said GM on the way out the door. Uh, there was a whole lawsuit going on with Penny Toller and Sparks. That's still ongoing. Um, and then obviously they hired a coach in Derek Fisher, who was not able to optimize the Sparks talent in a way that would, uh, you know, cause them to be the most successful. Uh, I tend to give the uh, actual uh, front office, you know, brain trust more of the blame here than Fisher because Admittedly, while he's not in the top tier of WMA coaches, I don't think he should be as lambasted as, you know, he seems to be around the league. And that obviously has a lot of uh, other factors that date not just his time with the Sparks, but lots of other things that have happened in his basketball career. So, yeah, uh, the the Sparks decided not to hire a replacement for Toller when she left. So they were basically going GM lists for a full season, even though they had an assistant in place. Uh, you see the ramifications of that when basically everybody is a free agent and one summer on the roster and it's really hard to develop team that way. And then uh, when they had a chance to actually hire GM again this summer, they decided to just promote their head coach to become a GM. And even though the W has like a lot of successful examples of GM head coach combinations, I still think it's a, it's a tough template to, you know, strike correctly if you're just starting in the league. So yeah, the, the front office hasn't exactly given Candace reasons to stick around. Um, they also made it very clear that Chelsea Gray was their priority of the future, which uh, also didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, that worked out uh, great. Chelsea Gray, of yeah. course, signing signing with the Las Vegas Aces. Yeah. Oops. Also, Matt, that was the correct answer to the question at the beginning. It was not as good as the Aces. That's what you were supposed to say. <laughs> yep, there you go. Well, yeah, um, that's so there's, it's just, there's just a lot of drama going on in L.A., which is just par for the course for a Los Angeles sports franchise. And Candace decided that, hey, I don't really have to deal with this. So. A stupid question. Why did they want to trade Candace Parker back in the day? Was it just because she was getting older and, you know, why, why would they try to trade her three years ago? I, I couldn't tell you. There's probably like some sort of interpersonal dynamics that were happening down there uh I mean, there's, there's like a very reasonable argument to me that Candace was like on the downswing over the 2018, 19 seasons before ramping back up this year in the bubble. And it's fair to wonder if those circumstances are replicable, if they're going to be going through like a regular traveling season and not having, you know, the comfort of just staying in one place all the time. I personally believe that Candace will be just fine, but, uh, I, I guess there's a reason to want to pivot around younger stars and it's harder to do that when there's a franchise icon there who's grabbing all of the attention. It's just so weird because the Lakers, some of this stuff, like the Lakers are a team and it's a similar ownership group, right? I, I don't remember exactly what the ownership structure uh, is. The ownership group is uh, with the Dodgers actually. Okay. So, but there is still a connection to the Lakers in some capacity or am I wrong about that? In that Magic Johnson is somewhat a part of the ownership group. And like when they won the title in 2016, he was the one who the commissioner like gave the trophy to. Okay. So I guess that's the link. Yeah. Okay. So it's much less direct. So that explains a lot more because I was going to say, you know, the Lakers are a team where it's like, you got your star, they take care of their stars. That's like what they're all about. You know, Kobe Bryant getting 
these send-off contracts long after he was at that level when people said they should have gotten rid of him. And yet the WNBA team from the same franchise, or say, who plays in the same building, uh, clearly, I guess, not the same ownership group, is taking the total opposite approach with their marquee star. And you just sort of wonder how these are sort of two of the same organization, or but they're not, but two of the same sort of tenants that you would think that the same rules that govern how the Lakers operate would up govern how the Sparks operate with Candace Parker. And that's just not, it's played out the complete opposite way it, from the outside looking in. It just doesn't make much sense. And it's obvious that it's the case because Dwayne, what it was a Dwayne way who tweeted like something along the lines of they didn't respect you. I was, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I mean, Dwayne Wade kind of just aired out everything that, you know, Candace Parker had been keeping quiet for however long. I mean, this is obviously a, a problem with the LA Sparks front office that, has kind of been in shambles for, I don't know, Sabrina, how long? Like, have they ever been really that stable? I mean, I, I've been following them for like the last three years and I would say no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, now you almost wonder if they're going to lose her anyway. Maybe they just should have traded her. But I mean, last year, there was some talk that maybe she, her game was declining. I know the year before last, she got benched in that playoff series against Connecticut. Uh, and there's there are all these questions. I think with the Derek Fisher thing, it's sort of the problem probably is less with Fisher and more that like Derek Fisher was the choice given, right? Given uh, yeah. his WNBA background. And then in the bubble, to your point, like you said, Sabrina, she was outstanding. So I don't know, maybe she always knew she was going to leave and this was her way of kind of getting back at the at the Sparks. <laughs> I mean that's that's a pretty good way of you know seeing yourself out. Uh, <laughs> I can't I can't imagine a better way. <laughs> yeah. So she's no longer with the Spark. She's now with the Chicago Sky. Uh, there was a lot of teams. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious she was going to leave at some point. But to, the question was to who, and there are a lot of teams that were potentially in the mix. Matt, were you surprised it was Chicago that ended up winning out her hometown? No, I mean, Candace had kind of said that, you know, if she was going to leave, it was going to be Chicago. Um, I think we, we kind of floated the Atlanta idea just because it was near like the Turner Studios. But uh, Chicago makes so much sense for her, not only from a personal standpoint, but also a basketball standpoint. Like that team is great. We still have the question mark of whether or not Diamond DeShields is ever going to look the way she did two years ago, considering she came in with a sort of mysterious injury that she still hasn't really gone in depth about um, what's really going on. And then she left the bubble early for personal reasons. So, um, but besides that, I mean, playing with Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley, uh, like that team is really good. How, how good? I mean, are they the title? Are they the title favorites? I, it's it's so tough to say now that we're like there's so many things that are that are mixed around, right? Like the the storm were obviously the favorite, but then they lose Alicia, Alicia Clark, and you know how how are they going to replace her level of of defensive capability? And we've had a year off from the real Mystics, so like what kind of shape is Elena Deladon in? Is she still MVP caliber? Is she going to lift that team? What happens when the Aces add Chelsea Gray and Liz Cambage and Kelsey Plum to what they had last year, even though they lose Kayla McBride? It's kind of hard to do the math equation of where teams stand when so many teams have shifted. But I think it's very reasonable to have Chicago you know, among that group of teams that we should expect to be in the finals. I mean, the, Courtney Vandersloot was incredible last year. And if she has a real uh, like athletic five to run the court with, Sort of, uh, it's even an upgrade over Azure Stevens, who was having a breakout year last year. They they're stacked. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. It's just Chicago has to be up in that tier of contenders, which I might even include Minnesota in personally. But um, yeah, I mean, Candace Parker running a pick and roll with Courtney Vandersloot and you have spacing around that or just like being able to play in transition with Diamond Shields or Kalia Copper, even if that comes to be like, all they needed was just like a little bit of extra defensive oomph in the front court and voila, defensive player of the year, Candace Parker. I mean, even if she wasn't whatever, I'm not going to go on that thing again, but Candace Parker is an excellent defensive player. <laughs> and they, I think they just filled exactly what they needed was like an, a little bit of extra playmaking beyond Vandersloot and then some sort of defensive integrity. And they got that all in one piece who just happens to be like a Chicago hero who's got like the mayor on her, you know, free agency call. Like it was, <laughs> it's a perfect combination of everything in one person. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, the, the Sky last year, I, I think uh, I expected big things from them. A lot of people did. And it just seemed like they were, I don't like to use the word sort of soft in this way, but just they had, there were too much perimeter talent and just not enough sort of toughness up front, you know. And now, to your point, they can put Parker and Stevens and play them both with Vandersloot Quigley. starting lineup. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. guess they lost um, Cheyenne Parker, right? She left. Mm-hmm. So she's no longer yeah. a part of the team. Who Stephanie Dolson is still there. So I imagine maybe she'd start. But, yeah, I mean, you could you could see, like, if DeShields is back to where she was two years ago, Vandersloot Quigley, DeShields, Parker, Stevens. I mean, that that's, uh, that's it's going to be really hard to guard that team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what you want in this era, right? Yeah, that, that team can conceivably keep up with a Brianna Stewart Seattle Storm team or an Elena Deladon Washington Mystics team. The worry I have is that, you know, and there's nothing that they could have done about this. It's just you've got Vandersloot who's getting up there in age. You've got Parker getting up there in age, Quigley getting up there in age. And they just still seem a little slow in the perimeter. But, I mean, they, they did pretty much everything they could possibly do. And maybe DeShields coming back solves some of that prob- that that problem right there. Yeah, even that. I mean, Clay Copper kind of had an awesome year last year too. If Diamond isn't at you know the level we'd expect her to be at this point, Copper kind of fills in a lot of what she does. Maybe not at the same level, but close enough. Maybe that Parker can make up the difference. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly gonna be a fun team to watch. And I, I'm, I think like as if you're a basketball like kind of nerd like I am in terms of the on court stuff, there's a lot of cool possibilities with the two man game or two woman game, I guess, of Vandersloot and Parker. You could invert those screens in a lot of different ways. You could have one Parker being the ball handler, Parker being the dribble handoff person. And then you could also see the, the pin down game with Allie Quigley, like for NBA fans who really enjoy watching Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo and some of these other you know, what J.J. Redick and Joel and B were back in the day, just kind of these two guys doing that. I mean, Quigley and Parker, that's going to be a whole lot of fun in the W as well. So they're definitely going to be – I feel like they're going to be the nerd – the basketball nerd's favorite team next year. And, and like, but what better coach than James Wade to do that, right? Like how many yeah. people watch that clip of him just diagramming the set, right? Like as yeah. uh, that end game happened, like I, it's going to be so much fun to have that – like brain trust in charge of that offense. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm really excited for James Wade. Like this, like he's just one of the elite coaches in the league, and seeing the amount of opportunities he's going to have with this incredibly versatile roster, it's going to be you know they're going to be must watch all year. What makes him such an elite coach? For those who don't know, is it is it the X's and O's, or is there other stuff that um, has made? Because since he's gotten there, Chicago has steadily gotten better, except for last year. 
I think the best example is just Azrae Stevens and him being able to unleash all of the offensive talents that Dallas sort of just threw away. I, I, I mean, I don't know a better way to put it. Like she was, you know, an absolute breakout player. It, you know, it, it's, it's a shame that she had to leave the bubble early, but she's exactly that versatile five and he let her roam the court exactly how she's supposed to play. Got it. So yeah, a lot of it is X's and O's and a lot of it is just player empowering players. So yeah, they're going to be fun to watch. Um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, where the other key Los Angeles spark free agent went. And that's Vegas. Vegas goes to the title game last year without Cam Beige, without Plum. They do it on the back of Asia Wilson. There's we talked Asia Wilson's wins MVP. I think we talked last time about sort of the impact of having no Liz Cambage had for Asia Wilson's game, blah blah blah. Now they bring Cambage. Cambage is coming back to their team, right? She's still under contract. It hasn't been so, upon officially. Yeah, here's right? the fun part with Liz, as we do almost every year with Liz. Uh, <laughs> so she's been cored by Vegas, so she can only negotiate with Vegas when she does sign. That doesn't mean that, in theory, she could force her way out like she did in Dallas. But uh, as far as we know, she's coming back to Vegas. I mean, she's you know uh, had posts for Chelsea Gray coming to Vegas. So it sounds like those two are friends, and that's how it'll be, but nothing is official yet. Yeah, maybe they're just waiting on like the the money to like how much they can offer her. You know, once they figure out the rest. Yeah, of there, there's a very good chance that that's probably what's happening. So the core thing, just so, just can you just give a review of what that is? Because that's something that's not in the NBA. We've talked yeah, a lot it, about it on this show, but just so people don't know, people. It's know. essentially it's essentially a franchise tag, and it's been uh, they they've taken away some power with it uh, in the most recent CBA. So. Now players can only get cord um, for three years. So uh, at this point, I don't even know what Liz is up to because she's been in and out a bunch of times. But if you know if a player is cord for the first time and they sign a three-year contract with their team after those three years are over, they're free to go wherever they want. They could sign a one-year deal, but regardless of what they do, they can only negotiate with the the team they played for last year that cord them. Okay, so then, and if Liz didn't want to go there, she could just be like, "I'm not playing this year." She right. could, yeah. I mean, she very well could just say, you know, I'm not doing that. And then it's, you know, L.A. court her, you know, maybe because they thought that might happen. And then they'll at least get something in return for her. Mm-hmm. And L.A. cored uh, Neko Gumoke, right? Is that how they kept her? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I guess hold on one of the three guys, people. Which also, that. yeah, I mean, you could also read into the dynamics of coring where, like, why did they court NECA? <laughs> were they afraid? Were they afraid NECA was going to leave too? Like, I, I think that's a very reasonable question. But coring kind of reveals a lot. Are was Candace Parker not eligible for coring? Yeah, Correct. she was not eligible. Oh, uh, okay. So it wasn't like they chose one or the other. That would have been really interesting. Yeah, they, they chose NECA over Chelsea. I was going to say they could have, they could have court Chelsea. Okay, why do you think they didn't, Sabrina? I think NECA is a better player than Chelsea. Um, and they probably got the sense that Chelsea was on her way out anyway. I was, yeah, was going to unhappy, you know, retaining. Like, a, my gut was if they were going to re-sign Chelsea, like, through a core, it was going to be a one-year deal, whereas NECA was more committed to a multi-year deal to stick around. Okay. I mean, I don't know if you watched the documentary about uh, Chelsea Gray and her Las Vegas free agency. Uh, I did not. I heard that it was, is there, I need to watch it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they just felt more uh, more of a commitment from Nega, and I, I also just think she's she's a better player. Okay, I, I would agree with that. 
Okay, so the upshot, though, is that Chelsea Gray is now with Vegas. Uh, Kayla McBride is now with Minnesota. Kelsey Plum is coming back. Liz Cambage is coming back. Angel McCautry is still there. It seems like we're asking the same question of the Aces every single damn year, which is, how do all these pieces fit together? So, Matt, how do all these pieces fit together? It's a it's a crazy question. Now when you're adding all of those pieces back into the mix. Um, but, I mean, I feel even... Before we even get into the basketball side of it, taking a step back, like Vegas has done an insane job stacking talent. Like this is a brand new franchise in year four, and obviously they've had a ton of luck getting number one picks. But like getting Angel McCautry to sign is a big deal. Getting Chelsea Gray to sign as free agents, like those are both big deals. Um, so that's impressive in itself. How the basketball portion of it works, I mean, a lot of that's going to depend on. What does Kelsey Plum look like after a torn Achilles? Um, what role is she going to be willing to play next to Chelsea Gray, who's another uh, point guard who really needs the ball in her hand to be um, an essential piece? Uh, how does Angel McCautry look in another year back? Is she able to play a little bit more uh, minutes per game than she did last year? Uh, how are Asia and Liz going to solve the problem that still is going to exist from two years ago? They're still pretty much the same players. Uh, I don't know. It's a lot of, they're going to have to manage a lot of ego, a lot of talent, um, and a coach who like has a set way. So there's not going to be much leeway with Bill Lambier. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Matt has it like, you know, nail on the head there. The, just the amount of talent that they have is really, really cool. I mean, I would imagine that Angel McCautry stays on that minutes restriction uh, so that she can be unleashed in the playoffs like she was a year ago, because I mean, she's, just like mid thirties, right? Like it's not the kind of player who you want to be, you know, busting her butt for like 30 plus minutes a night, especially when you have that other depth at the forward spots. Um, and then, oh my God, they got Derek Hamby back on like a sub max extension too, which is just a really impressive bit of negotiating there. <laughs> I didn't even mention uh, there. Yeah. But I like the Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum backcourt a lot. I mean, uh, they sort of had this giant gaping hole at point guard for all of last season and, now they don't. <laughs> uh, Chelsea Gray can play like 35 minutes a night and not really suffer any sort of drip in her quality. Like we saw that with the 2019 Sparks. Um, and I just like that she and Plum can sort of both be on ball and off ball. Like I know they both sort of fancy themselves as lead guards, but there's enough shooting ability on both sides that you can, you know, run actions through other players. Uh, I, I do think they're going to miss like the just straight up knockdown shooting of Caleb McBride or at least, at least the theory of that, because Chelsea Gray is not that. And I think Plum will have the ball in her hands a little bit too much to just be like that straight up spacer that McBride was. But I think you have to say that this was like an overall talent upgrade and it just raises their ceiling even more. And I mean, you talk about Lambeer having a specific style of play. Like I would have to imagine that in year two of Wilson and Cambage together, that there would just be more cohesion between the two of them because it even started to get better as the season went on in Vegas. So I'm not as concerned about like Asia's game taking a step back because like she's, she's the MVP. I think the decisions are going to go through her. Her game will probably take a step back just because there's more talent on the floor. Usage, I, I would think. Yeah. 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 I mean, and they still Jackie young, so yeah. they got to figure out what to do with her as well. I was, curi- I was curious about Jackie young and, and if she's a piece that, you know, Vegas winds up moving on from just because, Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum are both there. And if it's time, you know, if they're going to win a championship, maybe they move her for shooting. But I don't know. They don't have any backup guards, so you probably have to keep her. 
Do you do you start all five of the big guns together? Because if you do, I, I just because to your point about the Angel McCautry minutes limit, it seems like that may be an an a, a way to solve one of these problems is perhaps not make her the sixth woman, but in effect make her the sixth woman so that she gets more time with more space on the floor, maybe play her with Hamby more. Uh, that might be one way to solve the problem. Um, but you know, absent that, you know, I do wonder. There was a lot of frustration with McBride's development. I don't think she was quite as dominant as she was. I do wonder if this is a case of you're not going to know what you had until it's gone. Because to your point, Sabrina, there is a lot of stuff she did movement-wise that I think they're going to miss. I don't see Plum playing that role. That was, you know, In fact, one of the reasons that Plum only emerged when she did that previous year was that she finally got to have the ball in her hands more. So now you're taking it out of her hands. I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. I still think it's a gamble you have to take just because of, you know, the pure talent perspective. Like I think Chelsea Gray is a better player than Kale McBride. I'm not sure if her fit is the same, um, but the the upside is there. And I, I kind of think they're just going to start all the talent, right? Like they're just going to play Plum, Gray, uh, McCautry, Wilson and Cambage together and just, Maybe you do that Angel plays five minutes and then comes back out again thing just to stagger everybody as best as possible. But it's, just, it's kind of like a, a Lambier dream come true, right? To have all those players together, right? Just like a bunch of players who like getting to the basket and yeah. um, just being... Because like Chelsea Gray's a physical point guard, right? Mm-hmm. Like she can bully smaller guards the in the mo- post. The most physical point guard, I would Exactly, say. right? Like yeah. she um, just is a, a terror to handle for most of the guards like of the WBA size. So... Yeah, this just, like it's it's too easy for Lambert to start all these players together, right? <laughs> like yeah. uh, you just figure out the problems later. But I, I'm really excited. I I just think if Liz comes back, especially like there's just so much attitude on this team, and <laughs> that team is going to be so much damn fun. I mean, from the from from the head coach on down. Yeah, I, I'd probably enjoy teams that like play outside of 15 feet more, but I understand the point. But they do a lot of fun movement inside of the 15 feet, too. They, you know, they, it's not like they they're did stagnant. La- they did last year, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm being a little too harsh. Like, I think, uh, theoretically, one of the nice things that they have now is that they could invert the post-up so that Gray's posting up and maybe Cambage is throwing her the ball and that adds a new dimension. And they still do have Hamby. I, I, I joked at one point, like... Yeah, someone was getting excited about the aces. I was like, oh, I see. So we're going back to the whole they play okay until Hamby comes in, and then suddenly they're the team that everybody expects again. Uh, Sounds great. Uh, But, you know, it still should be a lot of fun. I don't know if I consider them the title favorites. Would you? I I feel like they're up there. You know, they got so close last year. I mean, I think they would have given Seattle a lot of trouble if Hamby were healthy. But um. I guess that's true. Is it not? Why is it not Seattle again? Is it just because they lost Alicia Clark? Is it that big a loss? I don't even know who they start at small forward, Matt. Who do you put in that place? I think Seattle's probably still got work to do. I believe they, they're still figuring out Natasha Howard, too, right? Yeah, they just court so, her. They don't have a contract in place yet. Right. So I wonder what their, their, think, their line of thinking is with that. I don't know. I don't know what happens. But I think it's also. It's probably also more conceivable to see a drop off in Seattle just based on Sue, too, right? Like, uh, we're going to play the whole thing. I mean, she missed a lot of last year. So if she gets bumped up, is Jordan Canada ready to step into that position? I think some games it was a yes, some games it was a no. So you can see, uh, you can theorize why Seattle might have a, a worse year than last year. 
I just assume Stewie's getting better, though. So that sort of well, negates that's a lot of the other things that happen. Well, well here's the thing. <laughs> just throw the ball to Stewie and watch him run. So. Yeah, another year removed from the torn Achilles, you know. I mean, th- this is the thing I wonder about with the Storm. Because, I, I look, uh, Alicia Clark is a really great player to watch if you love basketball. She's great, terrific role player, unbelievable defender, has developed into a really good shooter. I'm really excited that she's on the Mystics just because I like watching players like that. But she is 33, and she wanted she, the money she was going to get probably would have made a lot of things hard for them in the long term. And from Seattle's long term perspective, if you have Brianna Stewart and you have Jewel Lloyd, you can survive the loss of an Alicia Clark, can't you? I mean, those are if you have those two as a starting point, and Lloyd emerged last year as one of the what five, ten best players in the league, you know, and they have the best player in the league. So it seems to me like that. We may be overthinking what's happened around the league and just looking at Seattle. Why isn't it just Seattle? I think there's just a little bit of loss of continuity, right? Like they had the exact same starting lineup in 2018 and 2020. And even, you know, messing with one piece of that, just I imagine there's going to be some little ripple effects around that. Plus, I mean, it's not like the NBA where it's just incredibly hard to find wings. Like they could find another player to start there and it wouldn't be a huge drop off. It's just when you're like talking about what Matt said about, you know, Sue expecting a little bit of a drop off and not knowing what's happening with Natasha Howard. Like there's just one or more questions than you would hope for from Seattle that makes them like the, you know, favorite with a bullet. Um, but I still go by, you know, Brianna Stewart's the best player. Uh, Jewel is awesome. And like that should be enough to keep you I'm in also, that status. I, I also, we haven't mentioned her either, but I am kind of psyched to see Ezzy Magpagor another year in like, Maybe she's that missing piece that makes everything make sense again. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know who starts at the three, right? Like, are you keeping Sammy Wickham around? Like, is that rookie uh, Loxa ready to go? I mean, do you just, like, put three guards in the starting line? I, I don't know. I just what if you, like a gaping hole there. <laughs> what if you slide Stewart down and start either Magalgore with Howard or Mercedes Russell? Or is Mercedes Russell still on the team? I think she is. Yeah. yeah so why why not do that? Or didn't they keep uh, Epiphany Prince, who played pretty well for them last yeah, year? Yeah. Prince Prince was good in spot minutes last year. You know, look, I, I love Alicia Clark. I'm just saying, I, it seems like there are manageable solutions. I actually think Matt is right that the the bigger issue is that even last year they looked a little shaky when Sue Bird wasn't on the floor, and she's obviously she's playing one more year. Is that the idea? Uh, she's not I she's leaving it open, she's I guess. She's playing more years so long as she's healthy. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would assume, I don't want to assume. I, I maybe if, if this is, if the Olympics happen, it kind of makes sense that this would be her last year, but right. who knows? I mean, if Tom Brady can win a Super Bowl, then there's all these people who are like 39 and athletes are just like, yeah, why can't I play until I'm 50? Yeah, I mean, Sue I mean, did Diana have Diana Taurasi six- just signed a multi year extension. Or- <laughs> <You know? laughs> and also, we're like months away from Sue Bird having a 16 assist finals game. So who knows? Yeah. But I guess that would be the only thing that might derail them is, you know, it didn't look like Canada was a great fit with some of their other players. And if she is going to play more, that may be a problem. That's about the only thing I can think of. Obviously, they're worse than if they had kept Alicia Clark, but I just don't think it's as significant loss as others do. 
On the flip side, I'm a little curious, Mike, why you haven't put the you know talked about the Mystics in this way, considering this is kind of like their reigning championship year. Because last yeah, year it was not the Washington Mystics. Well, we're going to talk about the Mystics next. Uh, just want to take a quick break. Uh, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're back. Mike Prada, Limited Upside Podcast. We're talking about the WNBA offseason, a crazy offseason, a lot of movement, very exciting. I got our WNBA correspondents, Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation, Matt Ellentuck of the Here's Basketball newsletter. And Matt, you prompted us in the last segment, so let's go into it. The Washington Mystics may be whole again. The 2018 champions last year suffered a ton of injuries and absences. No Elena Deladon, no Natasha Cloud, no Tina Charles, no, I'm sure I'm forgetting like six people. Latoya. No Latoya, Latoya yeah. Sanders, no Ariel Powers after three games, no, I don't know, like they're probably... They're missing everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but many of those players are now back, and they made an interesting marquee signing with the... Le- we just ended talking about Alicia Clark, Seattle's ace role player, now signing with the Mystics. So, Matt, you asked the question, like, why aren't they the title favorites? Do you believe they're the title favorites? I mean, when you talk about a team that's stacked with the same level of talent, like, I don't know why they wouldn't be. I guess the question mark is that we haven't seen Elena Deladon play in a bit, but uh, in theory, you would hope that after all of her back injuries, maybe all this time off would be a blessing for her and she'd come back at that same MVP level. And then it's a matter of, I mean, uh, Sabrina talked about continuity a bit and they'll miss some pieces, but having Natasha Cloud and Ariel Atkins and Latoya Sanders all back from that championship winning team is going to be huge. And the pieces that you're filling in in between are in Alicia Clark, who's a veteran who's played on championship teams, who seems easy to slot just about anywhere. And Tina Charles, who's, you know, a hall of fame, uh, big, who you might have to adjust to a different, a little bit of a different playing style, but you'd think playing under a former coach and knowing where her role is, that that wouldn't be a huge issue either. Um, they're damn good. Doesn't this assumption kind of rest on, like, kind of, we were talking about Seattle, and again, like, kind of, doesn't this rest on the assumption that the 2019 Mystics were a better team than the 2018 Storm? Because neither obviously had the chance to really defend their title. I mean, isn't this really what we're talking about? I know there's some different pieces involved, or is it is it more complicated than that? Well, in terms uh, of, like, who this year's title favorite is? Yeah, I mean... Because you're saying, like, why not the Mystics? They're bringing their title team back. And part of my point is, why not the Storm? They're bringing their title team back, basically. <laughs> so aren't we really just arguing, like, kind of whose title team was better? Yeah, I'm so mad we didn't get to see those two against each it other. Sucks. It sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. Like, we're never going to see that team, those teams play against each other. Alicia Clark's in the wrong uniform now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so, so the Mystics starting now have on their team because you know they have a lot of they had a lot of free agents um, this summer. I think it's worth just kind of recapping like who's still there and what's their team. So they they 
They still have Ariel Atkins. She was under contract. They obviously are getting Deladon back. They get Alicia Clark. Natasha Cloud is probably coming back. Technically, she's a free agent, but everybody kind of thinks she's going to be there. Yeah. Right? They have, it would be a total shock if she if she wasn't. Right, and she's another one of those who can only negotiate with the Mystics. So, yeah. so she, she has been cored? Uh, it's a reserved thing. It's another WNBA CBA wonk, but... Yeah. She can only negotiate with the mistakes. Because she didn't play last year. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so she's still there. They still have Maisha Hines Allen, who was like a Maybe breakout. the most interesting player. Yeah. Second they, team old WNBA last year, right? Yep. Yeah. And she's still there. They don't have Emma Mieselman. What's the deal with her? I think all of that is up in the air, depending on, you know, if we're in an Olympic year that, are there an Olympics? I don't, I don't, I, I, yes, maybe. I don't <laughs> Okay. Are we, are we playing in a bubble this year? I don't know. There's a million different questions, but uh, she's a question mark, which uh, obviously a huge one, but yeah. she is a question mark. She's a free agent, though, so technically she's unsigned, or is she under contract? She's unsigned. Okay. Yes, yeah. yeah, so this is the 2019 Finals MVP. They brought they have Latoya Sanders back. They have Tina Charles. Uh, they no longer have Ariel Powers. That was probably their biggest loss. They have Lilani Mitchell, who was really good for them last year. I, I, am I forgetting anyone that they have? I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Um, um, you're forgetting basically like their entire 2020 roster, but how much is that really good? For? Right. So who's gonna, <laughs> yeah. a lot you of Stella Johnson minutes coming up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so who's playing? Like, what's the lineup going to be? This I is mean, a bad question. <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume that if everybody is going to play in whatever structure the WNBA has this year, it would be Natasha Cloud, Ariel Atkins, Elena Deladon, Tina Charles, Alicia Clark. Uh, that's the starting five, I would assume. Whether or not that changes as time goes on, I, I still think Latoya Sanders is probably the best fit Elena, Don, Elena Deladon could ever ask for. Um, maybe she winds up starting in place of Tina, but those are, I mean, that's those are the core players right there. And again, the the name you have not mentioned is the one who made second team WNBA last and, year. And I don't know what you do with Maisha Hines-Allen when you have, again, you have Elena Deladon and Tina Charles and Latoya Sanders as your other bigs. I don't know. Maybe they bring Alicia Clark off the bench. I don't know. I don't know why you would, know. though. She's too perfect of a fit around other stars. I, I just, I'm curious about everything. Also, is this her contract year, Maisha? I think it is. Yeah, she'll be restricted after this, right? So, like, wh- what do you do from there? I don't know. Like the Mystics are another team that has full of luxuries and they have to balance this cap to figure out how they can prolong like the best player they've ever had, you know, into being a perennial championship contending team. And I don't know, is it best if they keep Maisha? Is it best if they move Maisha? I, I don't, they have so much, I don't know. I don't know. You have a, a, so much luxury there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting from a cap perspective, but it's also interesting from a basketball perspective because yep. it dictates your style of play. I mean, Last year, Maisha played a lot of what was essentially a small five role. You know, very, again, I hate making sort of cross-gender comparisons, but I'm only making them so that people kind of understand. Very like sort of super Draymond Green, super Pascal Siakam, you know, that sort of kind of do everything, bam, out of bio-ish type of role. And... She didn't technically play the five because Emma was the five when she was healthy, but she was kind of the. They were it was a five out sort of thing. This year, they're not. They they now have Tina Charles and Latoya Sanders back, so presumably they're going to play a more quote unquote traditional five more often. And then does that mean Deladon goes down to the three? 
like she did sometimes with Emma and they play Emma and Latoya and Elena, do they sometimes go super big uh, and maybe play Alicia Clark at the two? You know, where does my... Because it dictates whether they play, I think, this more open five-out style or something a little bit more traditional. Serena, do you have a guess? Because I don't. I have literally no idea. I mean, I don't even know who their backup guards are. Like, I know I made a Stella Johnson joke, but like when Natasha Cloud and Errol Atkins sit, who who is playing those spots? They still have Lilani Mitchell, right? Lelani. Oh, Mitchell, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. Um, I guess you just go big, right? Like, Mike, you were saying that Brianna Stewart could play the three in that Seattle lineup. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do here. You just have to get your best players on the floor. And when they're such good shooters like Emma and Deladon are, then, and even Latoya Sanders, you know, can space for that elbow jumper. Like, you just sort of deal with it and like just get as much talent on the court as possible also, right we, we've talked about Maisha uh slotting down and playing the five she shot 43 percent from three last year <laughs> do you run her as a wing sometimes could she be effective in that role i don't know she's, yeah she's about as weird of a of a like fit as you can imagine she does absolutely everything and she's not that big yeah, I mean, she's they are the ultimate. They could be the ultimate positionless team because you also cloud is cloud and uh, and Alicia Clark are very positionless type of skill sets. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. cloud is basically what a size of a two three, but is like a very pure point guard in a sense. Whereas Clark is kind of she she plays kind of like a big, but she's a size of a two three. Uh, so. And, I mean, I am dreaming. I would love to see uh, the Cloud, Atkins, Heinz, Allen, Deladon, Clark lineup. Just think it'd be fun. Yeah. You know, the, the dream of five switchable players and five. That could scale. very well be a death lineup in the playoffs. Yeah. There's no reason why that shouldn't work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess it just depends. I mean, because then you wonder is, is, is that, is Tina Charles going to be okay with taking that bench role? And also you take away some of what Lalani Mitchell did. I mean, that team may be victimized by some small guards. I don't know. I mean, I guess now, I'm, now that you kind of talk it out with me, Matt, I may be rethinking my position on the title favorite. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm very surprised that's not who you're leaning heavy on. I just, I sometimes worry about how all the pieces fit, but no, no. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about a team that Sabrina mentioned uh, that's, again, Washington adjacent that I think is getting overlooked, and that is Minnesota. I say Washington adjacent because I thought it was very interesting that um, – so Minnesota signs Kayla McBride. They sign Ariel Powers, and they sign uh, someone else who I'm forgetting. Uh, Adelia Chanwa. Okay, from Indiana. So they say – Ariel Mike Tebow gives an interesting quote, and maybe it was less interesting than I thought. The G- Mystic Stream. No, no, it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially saying, you know, Ariel Powers kind of was stringing us along a little bit, so we moved on. And you know, Ariel Powers not one to let a slight go. <laughs> we'll say nope. uh, what actually happened. Andre Guadala remembers, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's right. Uh, the man, the the number. What is Andre Guadala wear? Number. Whatever is I don't nice. even know what number he wears for the heat, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's like a, my avenue into talking about the the links who I think have a legitimate case to be made that like people are overlooking them. You know, they have quite an interesting sort of mix in their starting five. Uh, and I think Powers is a lot to prove, I'm sure. I mean, like to me, it's like weird that Tebow will say that because I mean, Powers is going to leave anyway. They didn't have room for her. I don't really understand, I, like, kind of what that was about. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't 
the way Tebow was speaking made it seem like there was a deal in place to keep Powers, and Powers was shopping herself around everywhere else, which she should have, and it got to a point where I guess they chose to make the move for Alicia Clark instead. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, this is very much a bad in yourself move from Ariel Powers because there are more shots available for her in Minnesota, for sure. Yeah, I I think she's going to be happier in Minnesota, honestly. Yeah, so in that sense, it's kind of like, you know, you saw a similar version of this in the NBA with Jeremy Grant, who is now balling in Detroit. I mean, it seems to me like that isn't ripe for – this is ripe for a real breakout season for her. And if that's the case, I think Minnesota is a real scary team. Yeah. I I still have questions about what they're doing uh, at the guard spots. I think that's the only hang-up I have with them. If Crystal Dangerfield was obviously incredible, but is she your point guard of the future? Um, I don't don't know if that's exactly the case. Uh, And what they do with, obviously, Sims and Lexi Brown, obviously that backcourt just wasn't working. Um, So that's where I have hang-ups. But from everywhere else, obviously, yeah. I mean, Kayla McBride, Ariel Powers, Nafisa Collier, Sylvia Fells, that's a hell of a lineup right there pretty good two through five right there yeah, exactly <laughs> that covers up a lot of what you know you might lose by starting such a small player like crystal dangerfield at the one i yeah. think she's earned that starting spot like odyssey seems was fine i do i do too but yeah i think dangerfield's the play there and yeah just to have like that wing defense and like pride and powers to help cover up for what you're losing there is is really important and then you can also like play small too with you know dantas at the five if you want to just like space out completely um, and she was really great last year. So you still have those multiple identities with like the bigs with fouls. And you you can even play Dantas at the four, move Collier down. And like when one of those wings sits, right. So they just have the ability to toggle between like lots of different styles of play. And like we were saying with everybody else, like Collier's really damn good, right? Like she's not on the Stewie level, but she's gotten better every year. And if you just expect like a little bit more improvement from her, like why not have Minnesota in the title picture? Like that's the way yeah. I see it. She's I, that foundational piece right there. I think there's a case she was a top five player last year. Yeah, I was, I was going to say like you know we're this is sort of catnip for our friend Alex Basil, um, <laughs> but uh, but I think there is like some people still sleep on Collier a little bit. You know, did she make first team All W last year? I don't think so. Second, just because of how of forwards. Uh, the forwards work. Okay. Yeah. And to your point about like sort of being able to hide Dangerfield, Sabrina, you, you mentioned you know Powers and McBride, but it's also Collier as well. Maybe the best mm-hmm. defensive big wing in the league, you know. And it, it seems weird to me that we're saying, well, the weak spot is the rookie of the year, and why is that team not? Why is that not team not like sort of more like? Here's an interesting question: Would you rather? Do you think Chicago or Minnesota has a better chance at the title this year? It's a really good question. <laughs> That's a really good question. What, what do you, I mean? It's, I would say Minnesota is a better team than Chicago does. It so much depends on Diamond, but yeah, um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be mad either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Cheryl Reeve protege in Chicago too, right? So there you go. Yep. Also, Minnesota is just again like to Sabrina's point, like the team just fits really well together. They had just like a diverse skill set. Now, I, I suppose some of this may depend on whether the aerial powers we saw at the beginning of the bubble before she got hurt is the real aerial powers, you know, because she was playing at like superstar level, and I don't know if she's that good, you know, that may have been a little unsustainable. But even if she's the player she was the year before in their title run, that's still, I mean. 
it's it's a really well fitting team because McBride can play really well off the ball and space the floor. Collier is just such a quality, you know, she's a role player that adds up to a star. Basically, she can kind of play with anyone with any sort of fit. They can have the down low game with fouls or they can space it out with Dantas. And Powers can take can be like kind of one of the players. Like if you ran a Powers uh uh Collier pick and roll, I mean I think that would be hard to switch. Yep. Right? So I it seems to me like they just have the pieces fit incredibly well there. And they did a lot better than people thought last year. They made it to I think people were surprised that they made it all the way to the semifinals. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that also. I, I'm kind of thinking back. I didn't mean to like shit on Crystal Dangerfield because she was. <laughs> yeah, she, had, she no, did it, have an amazing year. It, it, it is a legitimate question, like but it is the question. And, and I think you guys have kind of covered that up, though. I mean, McBride and Ariel Powers are about as good of a defensive wing combination as you can kind of ask for to maybe hide uh, for Dangerfield's lack of size. But yeah, I mean, it's that, and it's figuring out also that that backup rotation, and if. You know they have the depth to sustain the blows that the Mystics can can deliver. Yeah, I just think Minnesota's like offseason was so interesting because we we gave them so much grief last year for not doing anything right, and they just saved all of their money for this year and developed internally. And you know you got Dantas on a really good extension. You've got now Powers and McBride coming in. I mean, it was just really smart to sit out. Like once the top wave um, yeah. didn't didn't want to come to Minnesota last year. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Matt has a good point about the backup guards, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what to make of Odyssey Sims anymore. I mean, Lexi Brown wasn't healthy all of last year. I know they still have very high hopes for her, but, you know, there's there's like a little bit to it, not like there. But I, I, it just seems like a, a very minor problem, like when you have that front court depth and then just like the quality of talent they have on the wings, you know. I guess it's also a matter of what Kiki Herbert Aragon looks like in the second year too. That's another potential, you know, spot up shooting threat that mm-hmm. kind of came along a little bit towards the end of last year. So oh, they still have Bridget Carlson too, actually. Who's and just Bridget, fantastic. And, and do they still have Rachel yeah. Bannum? And uh, Rachel Bannum, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So it seems like they have like some pretty decent depth. Yeah. Basically, man, why? What are you, you're wrong, Matt. That's what this is coming down to. Um, Listen, we just, we just listed all the Mystics like all star players yeah. off the bench, so maybe that's why I'm a little lower. Maybe on they're not all stars, I guess. Yeah, yeah, they aren't all stars, but I'll just say that like I love the look of Chicago, but I'm still I still think Minnesota is a better team. Let's just go with that. Um, had a couple questions from people. Um, we covered this is from at the Midler one. We covered Seattle, but. Matt, I wanted to ask you about uh, the team close to you, the the Liberty. Um, he, they ask, New York's got a lot of interesting talent, so what do you think they should be running on offense to get the most out of everyone? So New York has got uh, Ionescu coming back, and they signed Benajah Laney, who was the most improved player of the year last year from Atlanta. They, What do you think about the way the Liberty – a lot of you had written an article about Dale Hopkins, their coach, running kind of good stuff, just not having the talent. Do they have the talent this year? Uh, the talent for what? <laughs> I guess that's the question. I mean, how much? How much? How dangerous do you think that? Like, what do you think of that question? Like, do, what do they run to kind of get the most of what they have? Great question. I think well, we're still waiting on um, what happens with Amanda Zoeb, also, who's another um, potential real impact player for a championship contender to go out and grab but um it's such like it, it, there's still a lot of confusion with for me at least of what they're going to do at that guard spot because 
they were loaded with that talent last year, and then they signed Laney, who's just another piece to try to figure out with that puzzle um, of what they're going to do. There's just so many question marks. And we only saw Sabrina for three games last year. Asia Durr seems to be in, in really bad shape from COVID, and we don't know, yeah. you know if she's going to play this year. Um, so that's another big question mark. Uh, it's still, it, to me, like this upcoming Liberty season feels a little bit like the last one, unless something major changes um, in the last stages of free agency of just like still feeling out what they have because they didn't get a clear view of anything because Sabrina went down so early. So um, I don't know. I mean, they're going to be their most successful if they once again, like let everybody get some time on the floor so they can make real decisions because last year was kind of a throwaway by the end. Now, Sabrina Ionescu came into last year as maybe the best prospect ever, and she didn't suffer what was like a debilitating, like kind of career-ending type of injury. She kind of turned her ankle. Was it turned her ankle really bad? Yeah, uh, she had a grade three sprain. Yeah. So why why wouldn't we expect her to just come in and kick ass like we did last year? Like, what's the difference between this year and last year? I'm curious about that. I think it's only be. It, I don't know if the expectations have changed at all. It's just we only saw her kick ass once. Like, it only happened one time. Well, and you know, two chances. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. It's not like, I don't know. I think it's unfair to expect her to come out and be a superstar because this, this is a repeat rookie season. Yeah. I mean, we saw her kick ass a lot in college, and that was what it was based off before last year, I guess is the sure, question. Sure, sure. You know, uh, it's not like... Like you look at like again, I, I hate to make another NBA comparison. You look at like Zion Williamson, right? This is a very similar sort of hyped prospect. I mean, Zion just looks whatever injuries he had and whatever biomechanics he has, he just doesn't look like the player he was at Duke. So right. the expectations have gone down. But as far as I know, Ionescu is basically going to look like the same player, right? So what? It seems to me like all this stuff that we were excited about coming out of college should apply even more this year. Maybe it's not enough to make them a playoff team, but you know, yeah. Maybe it's just that she's still again playing with so many young pieces that we don't have like high expectations for them to be this deep playoff team. Like they're, I don't know. Am I wrong in thinking that they're probably going to be a lottery team again? Um, it, that's the way I see it. It's just, it's not so much that I'm less excited for Sabrina. It's that the, pieces around her gave me no reason to be excited last year, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and admittedly, they're going to bring some people back who, you know, sat out in the bubble, but like everyone was making the joke that like they signed Benajah Laney when every single player on the Liberty roster is already a wing, but like, are any of them good? You know, yeah, like yeah. Laney we know is, is a good player. And like, I, I would imagine that you just like make sure you have at least one stretch big still in place and just run a lot of high pick and roll and let Sabrina operate at the top. Like uh, there's not, really much else you can do there I think, because I don't trust those wings to like do any meaningful I don't know why I didn't mention it before either I mean Kia Nurse had a bad year and really bad like a really bad year that we kind of all like assumed like oh you know she's a great shooter this will the chill bounce back and she was injured for a good portion of the bubble so you know no blame on her but she wasn't good so that also kind of hampers expectations and like is she still an all-star caliber player was last year a fluke um that's that's another huge piece to the Liberty's puzzle, right? Yeah, I mean that's like what two of their last three um, lottery picks, you know, with with Nurse and Durr, that you just have no idea what you're going to get out of them, and yep, that's really hard to come back yeah. from. Yep, I mean I think at this point, unfortunately, with Durr, we kind of have to assume that it's 
she's not coming back, sadly, with everything she's going through. So, um, okay, one other question. This is from USL Tactics. Uh, Super, you can take this one if you want. What hope should I have as an Indiana Fever fan? Are McCowan and Cox going to work? Uh, Tier McCowan and uh, Lauren Cox, their first round pick, mm-hmm. who did basically nothing last year, right? Uh, a lot less than you would want them to, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how does somebody like Danielle Robinson, who they signed, help that pairing mesh? Yeah, so one of my like major gripes with Indiana last year was they didn't seem to realize that they were in a rebuilding phase and just gave a lot of minutes to veterans when there was no upside for it. Like this this team finished what, like ninth or, or like tenth or eleventh, even while not playing their young players as much as they should have. And like admittedly they weren't all available, like Victoria Vivians missed the whole season. Um I feel like I'm missing another name that also sat out, but like Erica Wheeler. Right, but she's not like young, so to speak. Also, yet. she's but, not on the team anymore. Right, Eric's not there anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it seems to me like they're just in a prime position to just uh, figure out exactly what you have with McCowan and Cox. Like, there's no reason why the two of them can't run a perfectly like successful high-low combo, like they did it not like they did at Baylor, but like Lauren Cox did with Kalani Brown at Baylor. Um, you know, that four-five tandem is what you should be building around, and I think Danielle Robinson is a good like caretaker to make sure that they are the ones who are featured on the offense. Like she was wonderful in the playoffs, like much better shooter than I expected, just makes better decisions with the basketball than like pretty much every guard on Indiana other than Alamond. But I, I'm not excited for that team. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like the idea of, you know, this like throwback front court, but like, uh, to, me, to, me, <laughs> I'm, to me, the excitement comes with Indiana. Like when you think about Kelsey Mitchell, right? Like she could just be this, supercharged offensive player who can do anything like she should be just coming into pull-ups she should be jacking the ball a lot more than she is right now just considering the rest of the options that they have on that roster um i think there are the makings of a really high quality score there like a rike level score maybe not like that talented but there's no reason why they can't just uh make her the featured player or just like any of those three players the featured player <laughs> um and let the young players like actually figure out what they have because that's the problem. I don't know what they have. And those people have been in Indiana for a very long time. That's I'm a little bit more excited that they finally have chosen to move on from a couple of veteran pieces, at least. I mean, Achan was gone. They've said, you know, it's been reported that Candace Dupree is not going to come back. Like, Do we know where she's going yet? Don't know where she's going yet. But that's okay. another, again, look at her as another piece. Maybe Seattle picks her up. Yeah, I feel, like the Myst- I feel like the Mystics need another player. <laughs> uh no but for for indiana I, I like that at least they've kind of maybe started to accept that rebuild a little more and even signing danielle to robinson to a multi-year deal i feel like she is kind of the ideal guard uh veteran guard you'd want to have if you're trying to develop too big but then i also get scared that like they signed jantel lavender for three years like is she gonna start in front of mccowan or cox uh-huh. <laughs> like I, I don't know what's happening there it, it seems it seems like all roads lead back to building around two slow bigs yeah. Lauren Cox is not slow. I don't yeah. think. She, well, um, yeah, that, that's unfair. She was also coming back from COVID last yeah. year. Yeah. Like, okay, was, fine. But I mean, herself. I'm sure they're looking down at Atlanta and being like, "Man, why didn't we take Cheyenne Carter again?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> Kennedy Carter. Would be yeah. Kennedy yeah. Carter. Excuse me, my fault. Um, Cheyenne Parker's on Atlanta. You're fine. Cheyenne Parker. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Kennedy yeah. Carter. Yes. Yeah, why? I, mean, I, I would be kicking myself if I had the opportunity to draft Kennedy <laughs> Carter and didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not very high on indiana uh either but um any other team that is interesting or any other situation that's interesting that we haven't talked about we haven't talked about phoenix and tarazi coming back we haven't talked about dallas uh and 
Arika kind of improving as a scorer. We haven't really talked about them. Um, is there anybody else? We haven't talked about Connecticut who's not going to have uh, Alyssa Thomas all season. Stinks. Such a bummer. God. Such a bummer. Like this is going to uh, be two years in a row now that we have this like dream of what Connecticut can be and they're going to be missing a piece. Yeah. Like Whack-a-mole with injuries over there. <laughs> Although yeah. on, on the other, on the flip side, I think it, we've all kind of wanted Alyssa Thomas to like slow down a little bit and get her body right. So maybe this will be. She's not for... even getting shoulder surgery. <laughs> I know. I know. Like why am I so disappointed about that? Like <laughs> I should be, but I am like, yeah. Come on, this is the time. You know, like, I know when I found out that she was like having the pressure, I was like, Alexa, you got to ask about the shoulder surgery. She's like, everybody <laughs> asked about the shoulder surgery. She's like, oh, that's it. We just associate her with shoulder injuries. Right. Uh, so is there any other team that's sort of, you think is maybe under the radar of that or people who are not big fans of the WNBA should pay more attention to? I think like you passed over them, but it is uh, a, a good question of what Phoenix is doing. Like they're going to be a really interesting team just because of how their season ended last year and Brittany Griner leaving the bubble early and then them kind of catching fire with Brianna Turner coming in. Like, like what, what, what's the solution there when we kind of get a feel of where the league is going and how Brittany Griner's game has been mitigated a little bit. Um, Diana talked in the press conference the other day like Brittany would be coming back with the team this year, so I would assume she's back. But I don't know how they make all those pieces fit, especially when you have Skylar Diggins Smith coming in, and you know she's when you have Skylar and Diana, you're, you're trying to chase a title. So how do they make those pieces fit? How are they even getting like eleven players on the roster with how much money they have committed yeah, to everybody else? Yeah, that, uh, like, I don't know. Yeah, and I know that's not as interesting as like the basketball questions, but like the cap thing is just like super strange yeah. in Phoenix because they've got what four pure max contracts with Brittany, Diana, Bria and Skylar. Yeah. And it's like, is, is anybody going to want to play just like for pure veteran minimums when like your only job is just to get yelled at by Diana? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised that Diana went back? No, even though like, it maybe this like, was... you're a little surprised, Matt. I'm not surprised. I don't want to say I'm disappointed either, but like, he's disappointed. <laughs> Part of me wanted it's just like because we're we're mentioning these same like question marks of you know Mercury depth and you know how are things going to work with Brittany Griner how effective like we've been doing this for a little while now and like again they don't have the money to really make too many splashy decisions from now until the start of the season so like part of me is just like man like what if Diana actually did it like what if she actually did go to seattle this year like i like obviously i I want that like i think that would have been an awesome twist but no it didn't surprise me that diana chose it it's just like i hope that we're not asking these these same questions that i think we will be asking in five months yeah i mean it seems like though if we look if when we step back in the long haul we're gonna appreciate that she was a one-team player I think this sort of seems like a send-off contract. I think so, too. It's just a matter of her being at an all-W level last year where you're like, damn, she still really has it. Like, I want to see this in the finals again. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We haven't really talked about Connecticut other than the context of Alyssa Thomas's injury. But, you know, Brianna Jones played very well last year. John Quill Jones is back. They still have Bonner. I mean, they're, they're a pretty dangerous team. And I'm kind of excited to watch Atlanta this year. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I was going to bring up Atlanta just because Kennedy Carter is so much fun, just like a blur on the court and already figured out how to get to her spots in her first season in the league. You bring in Cheyenne Parker, who finally gives like 
or a stretch big to play with, or even just like a big who can roll, honestly, <laughs> like just any big with movement, I want to say on that yeah. Atlanta roster, like they have four other players who are just incredibly immobile in what Elizabeth Williams calling Brown. Um, there's oh, Billings, Bill. I guess is another big who just has not really impressed me that much, but I just like that uh, Parker uh, Carter combination quite a bit. And then you get, you know, like maybe Renee Montgomery back, uh, Courtney Williams, full healthy season. Like there's just a lot of. Well, Tiff- and they also. They had Tiffany Hayes. Is Tiffany Hayes coming back this year? Uh, there's not been a s- announced yet, but if it were to happen, it would be with think, Atlanta, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I mean, think. it seems like they've got quite a bit of talent on the on the wing if they have Hayes and Courtney Williams to go with part mm-hmm. with to go with uh, Carter. It seems very yeah. exciting. Yeah. And like Matt was saying about Tiana Hawkins too, that's another big who can actually like do things with the ball. So um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Hawkins is a nice piece. I yeah. think like they're still in like that, you know, six, seven, eight playoff mix, you know, like probably not higher than that, but Hey, that's a step up from where they've been. You know, you got to keep going up. Yeah. I mean, and there, I mean, once Kennedy gets into like the level we think that she's going to get to players are going to want to play with her. Mm. It's going to happen. Yeah, and we haven't, we also haven't talked about another fun young team, which is Dallas. Dallas. My favorite weirdo team. <laughs> Why? They just because give away talent left and right. But, like, <laughs> then, but then they get it back. So like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, we're going to – I'm so excited for another year of Satu because I, I think she's going to be an incredible player, and she kind of showed that towards the end of last year. Um, and once they feel like – once Arike gets it, like she's – She's going to be one of the best players in the league if she's not already there. But like, once she actually converts her incredible scoring talent to winning, like, that's going to be so exciting. I don't know how exactly she gets there. I don't know how she becomes this incredible uh, distributor that we know that she's like physically capable of being. Like, maybe it's a little bit of a mind uh, a mindset change, but her talent is through the roof. Yeah, I just like so many of the pieces they have, right? Like Alicia Gray is fun. Uh, Mar- Marina Mabry had like a wonderful season last year. She and Enrique have that, you know, Notre Dame connection going back and they seem to just love playing with each other. Uh, they, they have like 13 pieces I like to watch and I just don't know yeah. how they all get on the court together. <laughs> That's why I called them my favorite weirdo team. I don't know who's yeah. going to play, but I'm going to like it. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like, you know, to solve the Eureka problem, they kind of started to solve that last year by elevating Mabry back into the starting lineup. Seems yeah. like that kind of did the trick, and yeah, I guess the question is, can Alicia Gray look play like she did last year? That's sort of one of the because yeah. they need another player to go along with Enrique. And yeah, you know. I'm very pro Alicia Gray. Uh, Me too. I think she's got it. Um, but I, I just don't know what their their center situation is. Like that's sort of the missing link in their starting lineup right now. Uh, I don't think Satu is a five, not at this point in her career. I think she's more of a three four. Uh, and I mean, who were they playing at the five? Like Isabel Harrison or Yeah. Um, and they kinda of, they signed the stew to a huge deal and then didn't and just didn't never play played it. her again. So, <laughs> they signed her to a huge know. deal while giving up Azure Stevens in the process. Yeah, which, I don't oh, I didn't get that. God, can you imagine Azure Stevens on that roster? That'd be I, easily my favorite team in the league. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. Well maybe so, maybe they could use Brittany Griner. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's maybe. not a bad idea. Could they, could they trade her? I don't. That's that's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, so clearly, there's still some dominoes left to fall this year. Uh, they are. Yeah. You know. You know. Actually, who Dallas could use is someone named Liz Cambage. I feel like she would fit in really well. Damn it! They should probably get Skylar Diggins Smith. That'd be a good fit. 
I don't think Skylar works, actually. You know, they got a lot of small guards there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's shaping up. I mean, look, the, the hope we always have is that these players don't get too hurt playing overseas. Are, are a lot of them not playing overseas this year because of COVID, or is it still many of them? Uh, I, I think they're mostly overseas. The majority are, yeah. yeah. The only ones that aren't are the ones that, like, got hurt last year during the season and are just sort of taking some time off. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because it does seem like the title race is pretty open, there are a lot of teams that we've talked about. They're like, hey, we should probably pay more attention to this team, right? It's just a matter yeah. of can all these players stay healthy over <laughs> until the real season. Um, is there anything else that, like, a new WNBA fan, maybe it's like you should really pay attention to this player. This player is kind of like a developing to a cult hero or sort of this sort of thing that people should – keep their eye on as the season goes as we get closer to the season cult hero or or just someone that's like kind of maybe you know in the end we would call this a league pass favorite in the nba i guess he would so call in the wnba as i mean well. to me that's minnesota just because they're not getting like the chicago vegas you know love from mm. the offseason and like you we said earlier like nafisa collier is just not regarded as like that outright star that she probably is yeah, I guess we covered Atlanta too. I feel like that—that's the team. We didn't really talk about the Sparks. <laughs> they <laughs> exist. <laughs> oh yeah, who's <laughs> even on the Sparks anymore? They still have uh, Ta- Christy Tolliver. Interesting. Interesting. Taya yeah. Cooper probably going to play a little more this year. Yeah, right. Might start. Probably should. I think start. they'll start Wheeler and Tolliver. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, yeah, Neca obviously is like the the hub of that offense again. But like, yeah, who's who's really like the distributor there like both of them are kind of secondary cards sydney we still on the team sydney we is still there yeah yeah she didn't play overseas because she had that really bad angle sprain at the end mm-hmm. of the bubble they still britney sykes she just yeah. they announced her resigning today actually okay yeah. they still have like, some still have, like they're still if Chanae comes back i assume that she'll start next to neca you know uh, oh so. that'll be fun the uh the espn duo yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like, uh that's what they did for a lot of 2019 when candace was out it was it was a good time yeah, I mean, there's, there's like a playoff team there, I think. Like maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that's how I feel. I mean, NECA's really good, you know. is really so, good, yeah. And like if Christy Tolliver is like not falling off a cliff, you know, after spending a year off, um, I think there's I think there's a playoff team there. I don't think there's more than that. But uh, if fans are allowed back in, like Sparks games are hella fun. <laughs> mm. It's a good time. <laughs> it seems like we basically have ten teams that people are that are like reasonably exciting uh, in some way. The, the Sparks and Indiana. Indiana. New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say Indiana and LA, but just <laughs> just in terms of excitement. But yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. at least well, and, and we have a draft between now and then. So like with a number one pick going to New York again. Yeah, I mean, like things things could shape up. So who who's like, only gives out number one picks in blocks apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so who's who's like a top prospect that we should keep an eye on? That's I, a mad question. Yeah, I think it's Charlie Collier, um still from Texas who's like obviously a tremendous talent who can like she's a a 6-5 center who can shoot and it's frustrating watching like her play for texas and like they just want her planted in the paint like you can tell that she's a player that new york definitely looks at and they're like damn texas is using her so so incorrectly (laughs) we're gonna turn her into a star um she's you know she's a player that i'm super interested in um i to me she's probably the top pick uh and i really like arela garantes from Rutgers, who's a name that 
I, she's, I think 23, I think she's a fifth year senior and she seems like a piece. Uh, she's a point guard. Who's an incredible distributor that feels like a piece that could play significant minutes in year one um, in the W. So if a good team is able to grab her in the middle of the first round, that might actually lift uh, one of those, you know, iffy uh, competitors that we were talking about. So sparks. Yeah, I don't Point know. Like, th- th- those are probably the two players coming out of college that I'm most excited for. I feel like that she, that person, whoever you just were talking about, totally. I already forgot her name because I'm terrible. <laughs> from uh, Rutgers. <laughs> from Rutgers yeah. would be that. That feels like a Minnesota Lynx, like kind of pick number eight pick. <laughs> Listen, if she slips that low, that that's sort of what that feels like to me based on past history. Minnesota gets all their goods at number six. That's the one. Six. <laughs> number six. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. It's very exciting. I'm hoping that everybody stays healthy and we get this kind of cool, exciting year. It seems like we've had, for various reasons, you know, half the teams have not been themselves the last each of the last two or three years. So I'm hoping that changes this year. Uh, and when it does, we will keep your our eye on both of you. We'll have to have, to have you back uh, to preview the season around draft time. Matt Allen, Tuck, Sabrina Merchant, anything you guys are working on that um, you want people to know about? We got some vibe. spark stuff coming at Silver Screen Roll uh, about their trainer who actually works with a lot of NBA guys too. So okay, look out for that. Yeah. There we go. Okay, Matt. Anything exciting? Uh, what's the next New York Times spread? Oh well, uh, you know that's me. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm working around. I'm freelancing. I have some things in the works, but we'll see uh, when they come to light. Some little, see, little, little NBA preview stuff. We're starting. This early. is why Matt needed Diana to move to write the retrospective in the Times. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how's that story coming that we talked about like three years ago? <laughs> no, no, no comment. I see. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, this has been the Limited Upside Podcast.